Hey there, welcome to the eighth episode of Open Floor. I'm Ali Mosalloy. And I'm Ari Narayan. And we're your hosts for Open Floor. Before we begin, please follow us wherever you get your podcasts like Spotify, Overcast, and Apple Podcasts. A full list is available at openfloor.me forward slash listen. Also, please check out our website at openfloor.me forward slash home and follow us on Instagram at openfloorpodcast. Now, on to the episode. Welcome to the second episode of our two-part special on the climate crisis with the Sunrise Lexington branch. In the previous episode, we discussed the causes and effects of the climate crisis. Go check it out if you haven't already. In this episode, we want to discuss what we can do as individuals and as communities to tackle the, cr- the climate crisis head-on, whether that constitutes lifestyle changes or political involvement. In the last episode, we discussed how humans have only around 10 years left to combat this problem before it is too late, and because of this, it is imperative that we become informed and we can make the right decisions now and in the future. We'd like to welcome Robin Pan and welcome back Anya Rao, members of the leadership team for the Lexington branch of the Sunrise Movement, uh, which is a nationwide organization advocating for climate justice. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, All right, let's start off with talking about what we can do in our lifestyles. So I guess our first question is, uh, what are the main aspects of the general person's lifestyle that are unsuitable and damaging uh, to the environment and how? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I think that there are some very big things that I would say that can make a person's lifestyle uh, unsustainable. I think a couple of them could include where you get your clothes from, right? Like, are you falling into the trap of fast fashion? Are you making sure that wherever you're getting your clothes from, are they ethically sourced? Um, Things like that. Also, you know, when going to the grocery store, how do you get your food? You know, do you go with, uh, do you bring out like when you buy your um groceries? Do you bring back plastic bags or do you take reusable bags with you? Um, do you make sure to not, you know, use as much plastic in that consumption uh, and usage of groceries? Um, how do you source your energy? I know that, you know, that can be a little pricey depending on, you know, where you live and stuff like that and how you can source your energy. But I think that um, if you're able to, you know, using renewable sources of energy, um, And I think that um, a big thing also is how much trash you produce. Do you sort your trash? Do you make sure to recycle? Do you make sure to compost food waste? So I think that those are some things. Yeah, for sure. I think everything that Anya mentioned is definitely uh, things that you can do. Um, Also, just like on the topic of going to the grocery store and diet, I think those are easy things that you can change. Um, For example, like working on buying local here in Lexington, we have a lot of amazing local farms that you can purchase foods from. Uh, And just being careful of what you eat, things like trying to eat meat less uh, and consuming more fruits and vegetables. Um, I think there's generally like, especially in America, there's like this culture of consumerism and materialism. So I would say just watching out to make sure that whatever you're purchasing is stuff that you generally do need and not stuff that you just want because you saw an advertisement for or something. Yeah, you talked about um, how in America we tend to use things that we don't necessarily need to use. And one example of that um, is private transportation, specifically cars and trucks. Now, the average passenger vehicle in America emits roughly 4.6 metric tons of carbon dioxide each year as well as other potent greenhouse gases like methane and nitrous oxide. Um, and that's, that's an insane number if you think about it. 
and it, um, personal automobiles like uh, across the country are responsible for about 20% of um, our total greenhouse gas emissions. Could you talk about how um, the American tendency to overuse cars and other methods of private transportation can be dangerous and contributes to the issues that we're beginning to see now? Yeah, sure. So when you drive cars and other forms of transportation, um, such as airplanes, release a lot of greenhouse gases, such as carbon dioxide and methane. And this also depends on what kind of car you drive. So nowadays, there are laws in certain states that regulate the fuel efficiency of cars, and that does help reduce the climate impact a little bit. And I think in America, this is especially an issue since the average American has two cars and a third of American households have three or more cars. And there just seems to be an overall tendency to drive places rather than using other forms of transportation. For example, in many countries like um, in many countries in Asia or Denmark, uh, biking is a lot more popular and biking is seen as like a normal forms of transportation. While in America, the go to seems to just drive places. Yeah, and going on with that, I think that also gauging, for example, if you need to go to like a friend's house or go to like your school, if it's within a reasonable walking distance, walk. I mean, like not only are you reducing your carbon footprint, you're also getting, you know, a nice breath of fresh air and you're able to get some exercise. So there's many benefits to not using your car if, you know, the distance is reasonable. And so uh, kind of adding on to uh, maybe trying to lessen the use of our uh, like vehicles, right? So there are many uh, alternatives to uh, this private transportation uh, with gas vehicles uh, are being explored, right? So there's um, electric vehicles um, and greater usage of public transportation systems like the local subway and even the bus system. And so how feasible are these solutions in the long-term goal of lessening uh, greenhouse gas emissions? I think that they are pretty, very much feasible um, in the long-term goal of lessening greenhouse gas emissions. And I think that electric vehicles, uh, it's like a industry within the automobile industry that has already been explored and still is being explored to make it much more efficient. And there have been many studies done to show that, you know, driving the average electric vehicle is responsible for fuel uh, global warming emissions than the average new gasoline car. And um, not only are you of reducing your carbon footprint and being more conscious to the environment. There's also many, you know, cost incentives that you'll be able to get if you're, uh, if you can drive, you know, electric vehicle. Electric vehicles can stay save around $750 to $1,200 a year on fueling costs compared to a gasoline vehicle. And, um, you know, with the hype, I would say, around electric vehicles, we are on a path to making electric vehicle production much more um, efficient and making sure that it doesn't produce as much like CO2 and greenhouse gas emissions and stuff like that. Um, so I think that this sector will definitely grow and become better than it already is. So actually going relating on to the uh, cost that uh, the cost that you were mentioning, how uh, cost efficient is an electric vehicle compared to uh, the normal uh, gas vehicle um, that we used? Right. So is it more expensive, less expensive or is it more expensive and then it brings benefits later on? Mm -hmm. I think it depends on, you know, d uh, different person's needs. I think that if you're, you know, a family of five, for example, or a family of four, and you need like a, you know, minivan slash SUV, um, you will, I think that like, um, depending on obviously like the car company, uh, you'll be able to get an electric vehicle and maybe a little bit more pricey and may not have as well, uh, like as 
better uh, gas mileage, obviously because still the technology is developing. But I think that there's many government incentives, especially here in Massachusetts, that I think that weigh those options are that uh, make it much more, uh, I don't know, appealing to customers. Um, so I think that it may be a little bit more pricey, um, and a little bit less, uh, like, you know, efficient. But I think that if the government is willing to help with this, it wouldn't in this case it is, I think that um, it'll be a good solution. Yeah, and just to add on to that, in terms of public transportation, that's like another alternative you can use, especially if you're not ready to do that investment to purchase an electric vehicle. Um, public transportation also definitely is a good step in reducing greenhouse gas emissions since you have more people and less vehicles and things like less land that you need to develop for parking. And it also saves you a lot of money. I think I read somewhere that like taking public transportation could save you like $9,000 a year. So now pivoting into uh, another aspect of our daily lifestyles, um, we talked in the last episode about the agriculture industry and specifically uh, the role of cattle farming in the emissions of greenhouse gases, specifically methane from cows. Um, and the American diet is heavily centered upon the consumption of various products from cows, like beef and other dairy products. And because of this, um, the cattle industry is promoted and we increase the environmental damage it creates. What changes can we make to our diets in order to make them more environmentally friendly? Um, I think. Definitely, obviously, one of the best things you can do is cut meat out of your diet, but this can seem pretty daunting to a lot of people. So there's definitely steps you can take, like small incremental steps that are still going to be uh, climate friendly. So, for example, maybe you cut out meat once a day or you lower the amount of meat that you eat. For If you used to eat like meat in every meal, then try to lower that to maybe once a day or once every other day. Uh, and... I think especially avoiding beef, beef is one of the worst offenders when it comes to meat. Like you mentioned um, earlier, since it does require so many resources to get beef. Uh, so consuming forms of meat such as like seafood tends to be a little bit more climate friendly as well. Also, uh, making sure that you're purchasing local. I mentioned this earlier, but purchasing local is great because one, you can support the local farms uh, and commu your local community. And two, it helps reduce the climate footprint of the food that you're eating since you don't have to worry about the transportation of like driving your uh driving your food like 100 miles or something uh, over a truck i think everything that robin just said is basically what i wanted to say but um i just wanted to add a thing to the meat thing i know that many people obviously are very hesitant to cut out meat in their diet there are other like plant-based alternatives i would say that are um for example the impossible burger um it is like basically plants that have like uh, made like kind of like a burger for it to taste almost like beef so it like you're not necessarily cutting beef per se out of your diet because it's just a plant-based burger that tastes like it. So um, there are other alternatives that you can use in this journey to cutting down meat in your diet. Oh yeah, mushroom burgers are amazing. If you haven't tried one yet, you need to try one. Another lifestyle concern brought up by many is the tendency for individuals or businesses to frivolously or excessively use electricity, uh, such as with air conditioning. And in what areas of our daily lives can we curtail our energy usage and uh, how can we do so? Um, I think that there are many things that we can do to reduce our um, energy usage. Um, I did mention this before, obviously. Um, it depends on you know how much a person is willing to spend on this or how much they can spend. But uh, if you're able to you know switch 
your um, where you get your energy from, like uh, switching it from non-renewable to renewable sources is a big thing, I would say, like making sure if you can, you know, afford to going solar or using wind or geothermal, stuff like that. Um, there's also smaller things that you could do. You know, I think that um, are real that go really untalked. Um, one of them is like, you know, before going on vacation or before even like going to bed, making sure that you unplug things that don't necessarily need to be plugged in overnight or over like two weeks that you're gone away for vacation. Um, also with that, uh, buying LED light, um, using a power strip instead of just using like your regular old outlet. Um, also, if you can manage the costs, installing, you know, green roofing and green windows. Um, so those are some things. Yeah, and nowadays there's also a lot of appliances are coming out with energy friendly options. For example, there are like uh, washing machines and dishwashers that are built in to save uh, energy. And those are great options if you can afford those. And they also save you money in the long term because the energy that you save, it also like saves you money from your energy bill. So I just want to quickly go back to something, Anya, that you said about using uh, power strips um, instead of using the old wall outlet that we have, right? What benefit does using a power strip have? So I believe that um, when reading it, um, a power strip, first of all, you're able to get um, like green power strips, which, um, you know, when you plug it in, it like kind of ensures the fact that you'll be able to or it reduces the amount of electricity that you use. And also it centers the amount of like electricity that, that you can. Like um, I think that um, organization wise, if you have like one central power strip, let's say for you in your, in your room, you're able to see how many, you know, plugs or stuff like that that you have in your room. And you're able to say, oh, I really don't need this light or I don't really need this. And so I think that it's not just a cost and like a green thing, but it's also figuring out I don't need this stuff in my room and also like an organizational type thing. Uh, both of you guys mentioned the use of um, other alternative energy sources like solar and wind and geothermal. Um, and they really are gaining popularity in our, our communities um, as more sustainable power sources for both our homes and the rest of our lives. But do these alternatives actually live up to the hype per se? And are they worth implementing in our lives? Many people argue that uh, their benefits are not actually substantial. Um, I think that it definitely does live up to the hype. Renewable energy is definitely feasible and it's the only real alternative that we have since things like fossil fuels, they're not sustainable. Like we can't keep going on like this, especially considering um, the current climate and the current situation. I think Given, given coronavirus and the current pandemic, it has also shed light on the fact that renewable energy, because you could have like local connections, it's a lot more resilient in comparison to large fossil fuel companies. And um, I think that if the government were to give renewables the same support that they give to fossil fuel, like giving the re renewable uh, companies the tax breaks, the subsidies, and the investment that they put into fossil fuels, we could very easily see a renewable dependent country. Um, and not to mention that like the, the transition to re more renewable energy would uh, create lots of new jobs. It would reduce health and air pollution issues as well. I completely agree with Robin. And I think that, you know, solar, wind and geothermal are all parts of what the Green New Deal is encompassing and making sure we have a just transition from, you know, non-renewable resources to renewable resources. So that will be a big part of our, um, you know, upcoming lives is what I would say. And I think that um, Robin mentioned, you know, like in 
ensuring like the government like give like the same attention that is it does to non-renewable resources and those types of companies as they do to you know renewable companies and i think that with that also giving government incentives i think that you know money and saving money is a big thing and if people are able to say oh i'll save money if i switch to solar or if i switch to geothermal then that would make them much more inclined to you know use these types of sources mm-hmm Definitely. So uh, this was mainly about how we can improve our lifestyle. But now uh, we want to shift gears and move into more of the political side of climate change. And so the issue of climate change is one that has risen to the forefront of American national politics, especially in the past few years, as young voters have begun to recognize the dire nature of this issue. And so the front-running presidential candidates in the upcoming 2020 elections, so being Joe Biden and Donald Trump, have both received serious scrutiny with regards to their plans on this issue. Could you talk a little bit about uh, each candidate's policies as well as which plan will be more effective in dealing with the climate crisis? I feel like it's obvious that, you know, Donald Trump will not have a good climate plan because he doesn't believe in climate change and he doesn't believe in science. I mean, we've seen this with the COVID-19 crisis and his lack of, you know, response. But I think that um, in regards to, you know, Joe Biden, he is a person that does believe in science and the the fact that the climate crisis is existent. And that I feel like is reflective with this two trillion dollar climate plan. Um, And so, I mean, you can obviously go to his website and it has like a huge like write up of basically what this climate plan would look like when it would be implemented. Um, But there's just a couple of things that I think that are really key about his climate plan that I really, um, really, really like, I would say, is like the fact that he was like, yeah, we want to achieve, obviously, you know, modern infrastructure, uh, achieve a carbon pollution free power sector by 2035, you know, advance sustainable agriculture, secure environmental justice and uh, equitable economic opportunity. So those are some many things that I see in Joe Biden that we will not see in Donald Trump, to be frank with you. 100% agree with, um, Anya, I think that's, that's definitely correct. Like, uh, even if Biden's climate plan isn't perfect, we do see that a lot of his plan is kind of built off of the Green New Deal. And that's exactly the kind of policies and the kind of climate action that we need to see from politicians going forward. Yeah, um, you talked about how um, the more liberal side of politics has sort uh, sort of um, scientifically based um, climate plans. Now let's go to the other side. So oil fracking, so-called clean carbon energy, and continued use of natural gas are touted by many as the most feasible energy sources for a country's future. And these same people dismiss those who call for shifts to completely renewable energy. Are these new fossil fuel energy sources any better than the ones that we use currently? And do they do enough to combat the climate crisis at all? No, fracking is not a sustainable option. Uh, For one, it requires a huge amount of water. I'm talking like millions of gallons per well. And this can be really damaging to the the local environment. It it can lower the water table and decrease water access to nearby communities, nearby farms. And if there's not enough water in that nearby community, they're going to go to nearby lakes or uh, like rivers and start taking the water from there. And after they've taken all that water, it still generates billions of gallons in wastewater. And that wastewater is just pumped into underground pits. And there's a huge risk of water contamination. And we've already seen several cases in which fracking has resulted in water contamination and damage the health of the populations living around wells. Everything that Robin just said is 
completely accurate and I completely agree with it. And I think that um, to like the question of like, you know, are these like new fossil fuel energy sources better? I feel like that sentence is very odd to me because we want to completely go away from fossil fuel energy and fossil fuel energy sources in general. So anything that regards that is a big no-no to me. And I think that we should be focusing our energy and our resources towards, you know, renewable energy sources. Mm-hmm. And so on the other hand of this, there's uh, one resolution that is widely supported by more American uh, liberal and progressives, which is the Green New Deal, uh, though it also receives harsh uh, bipartisan criticism. And so now I'm sure that most of our listeners have heard about this at some point, uh, but many people may not know what the legislation really means. And so can you elaborate a bit more on what the Green New Deal consists of and if it's uh, a viable plan to fight off climate change? Yeah, no. 100%. The Green New Deal uh, protects my future. And that's what it is, really. Um, It consists of many, many points that um, are made to ensure that we protect our planet and make sure that Mother Earth heals, basically. And I think that there are three like core pillars, I would say, of the Green New Deal. And, you know, if you have the time, go read it. It It's a very lengthy document, but uh, it is 100% worth a read because it includes so many different things that are very important. And so I feel like the three pillars are um, stopping the climate crisis through a uh, 10-year nationwide mobilization, creating millions of jobs and ensuring economic prosperity, and establishing a second bill of rights, which includes a job, adequate wage decent living, a decent home, medical care, good education, and economic protection during sickness. Um, I think that the Green New Deal is definitely something that politicians should consider. I also just want to clarify that the Green New Deal is not like a policy. It's not like a bill that's going to be passed. It's a plan. And this is uh, this is the, the only plan that's going to actually be effective in saving our futures. I think it's not just about climate change and not just about like getting that, you know, that zero, net zero. Like Anya said, it's about... Um, other things as well. It's about how to protect the American people during that transition to renewable energy and during that transition to a greener future. And it's about building a future that's more equitable for everyone. And also just like one point I wanted to highlight is also like as we're making this transition, you know, with the Green New Deal, it's also uplifting the BIPOC community and uplifting the marginalized communities that have been affected by the climate crisis. So, you know, Robin mentioned this too, like it's about caring for the American people and the people that will need a just transition to renewable sources. So it's not just us caring for the planet, it's us caring for the people and us uplifting the marginalized communities that have been hurt by the climate crisis. Yeah, I think it's important to note that uh, the Green New Deal isn't just for climate justice, it's for overall justice for those who haven't had it for um, centuries um, in the past. Um, And to close off our discussion, we want to talk about how anyone can get involved and have their voice heard in a meaningful way. Being informed on a topic like climate change is one thing, but directly bringing about the change that we need to see is even more important. Uh, what options are there for the average person to get active and help out the cause? Um, well, you could join Sunrise, um, and I think, or any other like uh, environmental organization. There's plenty to choose from. Um, I think you could definitely also implement all the individual actions that we've mentioned earlier. But I think it is important to make note of the fact that 
most emissions and most of the damage to the climate is done by large corporations and done by a greater system. So we really need to band together in order to break down that system in order to create a more sustainable, in order to create a more sustainable infrastructure and more sustainable and yeah, a more sustainable future. Um, some other things you can do are things like phone banking for climate candidates, candidates who are going to protect our future, such as Ed Markey, who's currently running for re-election to the U.S. Senate. Everything that Robin said is like totally awesome. And I think that, right, if you're able to um, or if you can find, I would say, like a local Sunrise Hub, join it. Um, Also, you know, getting educated, I would say, is a big thing, especially on local issues. I feel like people don't talk about that enough, like figuring out, you know, especially here in Massachusetts, how can, you know, climate change hurt me? You know, how can I help, you know, stop this like climate change especially here within massachusetts so possibly getting involved in policy also finding local climate groups that do like either lobbying things or stuff like that oh yeah absolutely just want to add on to anya i think she did she brought up a good point about looking at your local politics as well so like take a look at your representative and what they've been voting on and what bills are going into the house or into a vote um email them send them letters make sure that they are voting on the bills that regarding climate action all right so i think that this is a perfect place to close out our discussion yeah you guys both offered fantastic perspective and some great clarifications on important points especially on collective response to climate crisis and um i hope that our listeners can also benefit from this discussion because it was quite insightful And so with that being said, uh, thanks again to Anya and Robin for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you for having us. And with that, we conclude this eighth episode of Open Floor. However, we still want to continue the discussion with you guys. If you have any thoughts on this episode and the topics discussed, please DM us on Instagram at openfloorpodcast or get in touch with us via our website, openfloor.me forward slash home. I also want to thank Amin Purgol Muhammad for producing this and all of our episodes. I'm Ali Mosallai. And I'm Aryan Narayan. And until next time, thank you for listening to Open Floor. Open Floor.